Hello and welcome once again to Raging and Eating. This is Rossi, better known as Chef Rossi, owner and executive chef of the Raging Skillet in New York City. And here we are, the week of Passover. I know, aren't you excited? Well, maybe you're not Jewish and maybe you don't give a hoot, but and maybe you're Jewish, you don't give a hoot. But for the most part, it's a really great excuse to pig out on a lot of stuff that you don't normally get to eat. Probably shouldn't use that word pig as in pigging out because pig is kind of a no-no you in a Jew land, as you know. But I digress already. So growing up, there were lots of good things and lots of chazarai with Passover. My mother would start cleaning the house because you had to get rid of all the chametz, all of the non-kosher for Passover food. You were supposed to clean everything and throw everything away. But very smart Jews, like my mother and lots of other Jews, would just sell all of the chametz to a non-Jew for a dollar. So my mother would sell it to our next-door neighbor, Mr. T, for a dollar. All of our crackers and our breads and our crumbs and all the non-kosher for Passover stuff. And then just try and clean the house as best she could. But it was still a lot of work, and she suffered doing it and complained quite loudly all the time. And one day, she was in the middle of getting ready to clean the house for Passover, something she dreaded for at least six months. I mean, she dreaded any form of cleaning at all. So this was marathon cleaning. You can imagine how terrible it was for her. And she stepped outside to get some air. And she saw, sitting on cinder blocks in the driveway, the camper. This was the hermit shell kind of camper that my father would put on the Ford pickup truck and drag us all to Florida for the summer because he was a sadist. You know, who drags your kids on the Jersey Shore to Florida for the friggin' summer? But I digress. Anyway, so she's looking at the camper and she has this giant light bulb goes off over her head. It must have been blinding. And she thought, why kill myself every day to clean the house for Passover when I could just clean this little camper instead? So she cleaned the camper, and she screams to my father, Marty, get Bob the handyman, put the camper back on the truck, we're hitting the road for Passover. And that's what we did. All of the loud, miserable children, and my grumpy father, and my mother, and an enormous amount of kosher for Passover, corned beef, and all sorts of canned kosher for Passover things, we all hit the road in the camper and the idea was that we wouldn't come back for eight days and that way we never would have to clean the house well my mother would never have to clean the house now lots of jewish people would go on passover vacations i learned later on and they go and stay in a lovely hotel and it's catered and they have a wonderful time and they eat all passover food the same idea right but my family was hitting the road on I-95 to the Deep South, just driving aimlessly for eight days so as to be out of the house. And we would wind up in these really kind of fakaka, cheapo, trashy trailer park sort of joints where people were living in Airstream trailers and they were hanging around a bonfire, drinking moonshine and smoking enormous amounts of pot. And there would come my honky-tonk family to do our Passover Seder. And we'd open up the folding table and pull out the beach chairs, put the Haggadahs out. My mother would heat up 
all of the horrifying canned kosher for Passover food and the endless jars of gefilte fish. I mean, gefilte fish can be kind of a tasty thing if it's fresh and you drown it with with uh, red horseradish, the beet horseradish, but um, the jarred stuff is a little skanky, especially on the road. So an entire diet of matzah and canned Passover food and jars of gefilte fish. Well, let's just say we didn't need to use the restroom very much in those eight days. Anyway, so here's all the drunks with their moonshine sitting around the bonfire. Here comes this weirdo family from New Jersey with our folding table and our beach chairs. And suddenly, we're having a Passover Seder. Like they're passing around a, du- a you know big jug of moonshine. And here we are, you know, who the hell are these people, you know, putting out all this weird stuff, dipping our matzah in the herotsets and everything else. And they're just like, what is going on? And then we start, my mother starts having us sing. And they didn't know what was going on. I I think there's people who maybe stopped drinking just because of my family. There we are all laid out in this honky-tonk trailer park hellhole and with our constipation stew of matzah and gefilte fish and canned kosher for Passover uh, corned beef hash, I think it was, revolting. And we're like, Elu hotsi hotsi anu hotsi anu mimitz rayim mimitz rayim hotsi anu dayenu day dayenu day dayenu. Anyway, the song basically is like, if he had just he, I think she, quite honestly, or certainly they, I gotta think God's non binary, right? If they had brought us out from Egypt, and had not carried out the judgments against them. You know, what they did to the Pharaoh. I'll I'll get back to that in a minute. Diana, it would have been enough. Like all these things, it would have been enough. Of course, I rewrote that, you know. If he, she, they had just given us Barbara Streisand, Diana, it would have been enough. But they also gave us Bette Midler. You know what I mean? So you can kind of keep riffing with this. So... As the eight days on the road of Passover went on, you know, I kind of started thinking about the 10 plagues as something we were suffering from. So the whole idea with Passover, right? You saw the movie with Charlton Heston before he became a gun maniac, right? And personally, I think he should have stuck with Planet of the Apes. I liked him better in that. But you saw the movie. The idea is that the Jews, the Hebrews, were, were slaves in Egypt. And the big, mean, nasty pharaoh was just so horrible and he took away their freedom and he just kind of had them constantly toiling under the whip to make more and more pyramids in honor of him. It was a terrible thing. And Moses, who we call Moshe, Moshe Rabbeinu, Moses, he actually was a little Hebrew child because the pharaoh was so scared of there getting to be too many Jews. I think they called us Hebrews back then, the same idea. He was so so scared of how many babies we were having. Because, you know, when you're miserable, what do you do? You have sex, right? That he figured he'd have all the firstborn sons killed and then there wouldn't be an overpopulation and we wouldn't overtake him, right? But Moses' mother put him in a basket and set him to float and he floated down the Nile and the Pharaoh's daughter found him and took him in and the next thing you know, he is brought up as a, as a prince of Egypt. 
But eventually he figures out how horrible and rotten all this slavery crap is. You know, you would think all these thousands of years later in this country, maybe people would also have figured that out. The same people who go to church, and this is Old Old Testament, right? Those same people didn't learn a single thing because here they are keeping slaves in this country. I had to sip a little tequila on that. It's a horrible thing. Anyway. Slavery is a horrible thing, but that's going to be for another podcast. This was, this was slavery of the Jews, and then a million years later, people went to church, and they read the Old Testament, and they know the story of Moses, and yet they still somehow in this country managed to have slaves. So shame on you, shame on you, shame on you. All right, I'm going to move on now. Anyway, so Moses figures out how crappy this situation is, and he defends one of the slaves from getting attacked and I think he killed the guy he was doing it and he had to run away and he runs away and suddenly there's a burning bush and the burning bush turns out to be God and God tells him you have to go back and free the Jews and Moses is like who am I I don't even speak well I'm shy I have issues I'm neurotic and God said that's why I love you you're Jewish that's what it means to be Jewish to be a little neurotic and anyway so he ultimately goes back and he asked the Pharaoh, you know, let my people go. And the Pharaoh's like, are you kidding, man? I, I got free, free workers here. I got slavery. I'm not letting them go. And so one by one by one, Moses lets loose with a giant plague from God. Yes. The first one was blood. And I guess that was like all the waters turned to blood. And... You know, later on, I started thinking of different things the plagues could have been, like the first one that could have been like taxes, you know. The second one could have been polyester. But so in the Passover Seder, we would sing for each of the plagues, and then we dip our finger in the wine, and you're supposed to then kind of dollop it on your plate. You're not supposed to put it in your mouth. But I just am completely against wasting wine. So I would put my finger in the wine and put it in my mouth because... I, do, I think that's one of the Ten Commandments, right? Thou shalt not waste good wine. If it's crappy wine, then you can put it on the plate. And so the Ten Plagues went like this. Dom, dom, D-A-M, you would spell it, I guess, which means blood. Dom, blood, Sephardea, frogs. Like, crazy, right? But the frogs are one of the plagues. And you think, what's so bad about a frog? I mean, they're kind of cute. But if thousands and thousands and millions of them are hopping all over you, then suddenly that would be kind of a bummer, right? Kinim lice. Well, you know that's bad. That's why you don't share a hairbrush in high school. Arav, wild animals. They could be cute if they're kind of far away or if there's a wall between you. But if they're running around, maybe not so good because they might bite you and kill you and eat you, right? Dever, pestilence. Well, you know, sickness and pestilence and, you know, terrible. That's a terrible thing. I don't have to tell you why that's terrible. It's ter- terribly terrible. Um, I could see pestilence as being some things we are going through right now. Like I consider homophobia to be pestilence. Shechin boils. That's like, you know, okay, so you get one boil, it's a lousy thing. But if you're covered in them, well, that's definitely a plague, right? I would probably say instead Dick Cheney. Shaheen could be Dick Cheney. I mean, I saw him as one giant boil. But later on, there's been some politicians that were worse than him. So, you know, I don't know. Barad Hail, 
Hail is not fun if it lands on you, but if it's torrential hail, that could totally kill you. Could kill people, animals, dogs, cats, everybody. That's definitely a plague. Arba, locusts. Didn't you, did you remember recently when the locusts came in? We always sort of forget about them. What do they come back every 10 years or 20 years? I don't know. But you got a few million of them buzzing around. That's definitely a plague. Shoshach, darkness. The sun goes away and all the light is gone and suddenly all is dark and you feel like you're in hell or in a really bad nightclub with no track lighting. Definitely a plague. And so each time the Pharaoh seemed like he was going to let the Jews go and each time he would change his mind because he was a moody bastard, that Pharaoh. We don't like him. But we needed the one granddaddy last plague, the really major duty one. Uh, and that was Machat Bechoros, death of the firstborn. And so when the Pharaoh lost his firstborn, well, then suddenly, well, then the jig was up. Then he's like, okay, I'm going to be letting all of those slaves go because I lost my firstborn. This isn't funny anymore. Maybe I got to turn a new leaf. Maybe I got to be a better person. Or maybe he was just scared, as he should be. Nasty old pharaoh. Anyway, so then we all got out, my ancestors, and probably your ancestors too, because let's face it, in the end, we all come from the same source. We're all related, no matter what color or religion you are, and it's time for peace and tranquility and sha-na-na, you know what I mean? Anyway, so we get out, and we're on our way to our new life, and things are getting better, and the pharaoh changes his mind and he's like oh no i'd let go all that free labor i must have my slaves back and plus my life is not interesting without them because i'm boring and you know i keep building things to honor myself but after a while if i don't have anyone to abuse and punish then what am i going to do abuse and punish myself that's a whole other story so the pharaoh goes after them he comes with his chariots and his horses and that's when Moses parts the sea so all the Jews can walk across the sea. It's kind of a wild thing when you see the movie with Charlton Heston. And then the Jews get across. The Pharaoh and all the horses and all the soldiers go charging across to get them. And Moses opens his arms or waves them or does whatever the hell he does. And the water caves in. And all of the Pharaoh and all the men and all of them go floating down, drowned. They're out of there. Now... I didn't feel bad for the Pharaoh or all the soldiers or any of them, but I always, when I see that movie, I always feel really bad for the horses. Why is it we always see these movies, you know, where people are killing each other? All right, you know what? I don't feel so bad for them. But why do all the horses have to go down? Mm. That's my Passover tequila. I feel really bad for the horses. Anyway. As the years went on, probably because I was in recovery from being traumatized from being in the honky-tonk trailer park, Passover Seders, and that wasn't even the worst one. The worst was when we parked at a 24-hour convenience store, so we'd be like in a 7-Eleven. And because my parents didn't feel like spending the 20 bucks to go to the cheapo honky-tonk campground, and we'd spend the night there, and we'd be having our, our Passover Seder in the parking lot of like a 7-Eleven. People would be coming out with their six-packs and their 24-packs and all the crap that people buy in 7-Eleven off a highway in the 70s. And here's this family, die, die, you know, die, die, you know, die, you know, die, you know, die, you know. 
they're probably still talking about it. You remember that time in 1974 when we saw that family having their Passover Seder in the parking lot in Virginia? You know what I mean? Anyway, as I got older, I realized that I had gone to too many long-winded Passover Seders. I mean, and these things can drag on forever. God, I went to my brother's Passover Seder. I mean, forget it. I was almost dead from starvation by the time I got to eat something. He went through three hours of this chazarai before I got to have have any kind of food. I learned a very valuable lesson. Never go to a Passover Seder hunger, hungry or you're going to be just chowing down on all the matzah because you're starving to death. But I started having pain-free Passover Seders. The Seder lasts an hour at the most. We do the most important part. You know, kind of the Reader's Digest version. We stick our finger in the wine for the 10 plagues. We do the Dianu song because everyone likes it. We ask the four questions because why not? We say a few prayers. We drink at least four or five or six cups of wine. You're supposed to leave a little wine out for Elioho to come drink it, who's the prophet who never actually shows up. But um, you never know, so you got to be ready for him. You know, but have a pain-free Passover Seder. And then I started having feminist Passover Seders because like most religions, a lot of this is feeling very misogynist and the girls are left out. And so why? Why do the girls have to be left out? Let's feminize it all. You know what I mean? Things I do like about Passover, I like that you're supposed to sit on a cushion. And I think that was even the men were supposed to and not the women. I seem to remember that. Rude and misogynist. But everyone sits on a cushion. Everyone's comfortable. Everyone reclines. Everyone drinks a ton of wine and eats too much and remembers the suffering for two or three minutes, an hour at the most. And then we move on and rejoice. And then you say next year in Jerusalem. Jerusalem, next year in Jerusalem. So I finally did get to Jerusalem after all those Passover seders saying next year in Jerusalem. And when I finally got there, nobody was happy to see me. You know, like nobody said, oh, finally you made it. You've been saying next year in Jerusalem your whole life and now you're finally here. We're happy to see you. We've been waiting for you. Nobody was happy to see me. Nobody was waiting for me. As a matter of fact, they were a little inconvenienced by me because there were so many people and it was crowded and a lot of tourists. And for the most part, I don't think anyone gave a hoot that I made it there. I thought somehow they were going to know. You know, isn't that a crazy thing? I also thought when I finally got to Israel that it was like I was finally getting to the Holy Land and it was really going to be holy. But in fact, I bumped into a whole lot of really, really rude people. I mean, spectacularly rude people. I said to my Israeli friend, Dror, why is everyone so rude? I mean, crazy rude people I'm bumping into. He's like, here, everyone's trying to kill you all the time. We're surrounded by people who want us dead. We're surrounded by people who want to kill us. So you get a sort of a survivor thing going, and it comes across as rude. I'm like, I don't know. All I know is I was in my hotel. I was waiting to get a fresh orange juice. There's a thing where there's oranges cut in half, and you put the half orange in the thing, and you pull the crank, and out comes orange juice, and you put your glass under, and you walk away with fresh orange juice. And there's like 20 people waiting online. And this guy does the half an orange, drinks it, does a half an orange. He goes through 10 half an oranges while everyone's waiting. And I'm like, Drawer, that's so rude. Look what this guy is doing. And Drawer goes, what? It's a small glass, Mbaya. I'm like, why does everyone keep saying that, Mbaya? He goes, Mbaya, not a problem. 
I'm like, it's a problem for me. I want some orange juice. I'm waiting 35 years for a glass of orange juice for crying out loud. He's like, Mbaya. He's not a suicide bomber. Not a problem. All right. Well, when you put it that way, I guess I could wait a little longer for some orange juice, I suppose. Anyway, my point is the Jews suffered. And then the exodus was then they escaped Pharaoh let them go because of all the plagues and he chased after them and that's why he got the fakaka in the water and eventually 40 years later after wandering in the desert I mean that's a lot you finally get out and then they have to wander in the desert for 40 years before they finally find a home I mean poor people they were slaves they were whipped they were tormented they were starved and then they still had to wander for 40 years I mean and they were eating matzah, so no one was going to the bathroom probably for 40 years, too. I mean, that is, that is in our genes, that amount of suffering. And that's probably why my parents dragged us on I-95 to honky-tonk trailer parks to have our Passover seders. And that's why I try to have kind, peaceful, shorter, more symbolic Passover seders. But I do like the whole idea of food as symbolism. So the charosets, that's my favorite part of the Seder plate. And i the way I always make mine is with Macintosh apples. It can never be any other kind of apple. Not Red Delicious, not Granny Smith, I don't care. It has to be Macintosh apples, which I'll kind of loosely chop, toss up in some Manischewitz Concord grape wine, which is kind of disgusting if you've ever had it, but it's also sort of fabulous in another way. It's good for certain things. Make a lot of sauces with the Manischewitz. And if you have ever seen the play Raging Skillet, then you know we serve Manischewitz spritzers, which is my invention, the Manischewitz sweet wine mixed with apple juice and club soda with a wedge of orange. It's kind of like Jewish sangria. So I mix the the Macintosh apples chop them up, mix them with the Manischewitz Concord grape wine so they don't turn brown. And then I've put them in my food processor. And I also put in walnuts. And no other nut has to be walnuts. And I puree, puree, puree. Not too much. I don't want to turn it into cat food. I want it just a little chunky. And then I put in a nice amount of cinnamon. And I put in a really lot of the Manischewitz wine. Pulse it a couple of times. And basically that's it. Macintosh apples walnuts, Manischewitz wine, and cinnamon. Sometimes I get fancy and I'll do a little smidgen of salt to even it out or a little smidgen of brown sugar. But for the most part, that's all it wants. And I can't tell you why, but it's the most delicious combination. It's my favorite part of the Seder. So I'll have that with my gluten-free matzo. Thank you very much. And the haroset symbolizes the mortar of the brick that the slaves were always building these pyramids with the brick, with the mortar. So that symbolizes the mortar. And then we would have salt water to symbolize the tears. We would always have a green vegetable, which we would dip in the salt water like lettuce or celery, something like that. And I think the green vegetable sort of symbolizes new birth and spring and new beginnings, that sort of thing. Everyone has a different interpretation of that. We would always have horseradish. I kind of like the red beet one myself, but you know, horseradish. And that was about the bitterness, you know, all the slavery and all the chazerai, that's our symbolism. Then you can make sandwiches with the charosets and the horseradish and the matzah. It's all kind of yummy. You'd have a hard-boiled egg 
which I felt symbolized the sacrifice. But I think that's more about the new birth and the new beginnings. And you would have a bone, like a chicken bone, or usually burnt to symbolize the sacrifices. They were always sacrificing back then. Constantly, oh, we have a problem. Let's kill a cow and sacrifice it. Come on, put a little piece of burnt tofu instead. You know, get over yourself. Anyway, I do like all the symbolism, though. I get kind of a kick out of that. So you wind up, if you go to a painless Seder like the ones I have, you wind up pigging out and not being tortured too much. Now, I didn't give you any recipe except my Herosets, but I have a good Passover recipe for you. And the idea is you can still have fried chicken on Passover. Why not? The idea is instead of your breadcrumbs, you use matzah meal. So there's a lot of ways you can make fried chicken. I sort of like taking the chicken and sometimes I'll dredge it in flour, then in egg, and then in breadcrumbs. So in this case, you take your chicken and you can dredge it in matzah has, there's matzah meal, which is a little coarser. And then there's like a matzah cake flour, which is more like flour. So you could season that up with little cayenne and Cajun spice and paprika and celery salt and pepper, garlic powder, everything that you like in fried chicken. And you take your chicken, you dredge it in the matzah cake flour with all that fun seasoning. Then you mix up eggs with a little bit of Tabasco. I don't know if Tabasco is kosher for Passover, but I think it is. Or get some kosher for Passover hot sauce if you care. And you take the eggs from the matzah flour into the hot eggs, you know, the Tabasco egg combination, and then into your matzah meal. So it's a, first the flour, then the egg, then the matzah meal, kind of like you're making fried chicken. And then you can do that ahead of time. You can leave it in the fridge, all dredged and ready to go. And then you deep fry it. And you got matzo fried chicken, and it's crazy yummy and really, really, really good. And you might like it so much that you might even want to eat it sometime when it's not Passover. Or you might be like, well, it's not Passover. I'm just going to go back to having regular fried chicken. Do whatever you want. You know what I mean? Anyway, so the other thing I want to tell you is I'm a big fan of charosets, as I said. And I was doing a cooking demo, a Passover cooking demo. I do that very rarely because I'm a busy girl and I don't feel like it. I guess that's why. I have no other excuse. But I was explaining that something interesting is to do Passover things in interesting ways. So since Herosetz is so yummy with the Macintosh apples and the walnuts and the Manischewitz wine and the cinnamon, it's really kind of yummy. Try it as an ice cream topping. This can be your Passover Sunday. So you get some, ooh, like some salted caramel ice cream. That's my favorite flavor ice cream. So you get some kosher for Passover ice cream if you're keeping kosher for Passover. But if not, some salted caramel ice cream. You get it in a nice bowl and you cover it. Big dollop of the Macintosh apple walnut conquered wine. Herosets. That is a crazy yummy thing. And after you have that, before you have it, take a picture, send it to me. And after you have it, let me know how fabulous it is. Because I know you're going to love it. So, in honor of Exodus from all your Chazarai and new birth and new beginnings and new chances and eight days of eating matzah, which means you better follow it up with Metamucil or prunes. Trust me on that. Happy Passover. This is Rossi, better known as Chef Rossi. And as always, food is love and so are you. We would say Happy Pesach when I was growing up, but you say Pesach because you want to have an excuse to spit in somebody's face. Pesach. Happy Passover, everyone. Have a great one.